0: come together to remember the reason that we really celebrate Christmas, and that is the birth of his, uh, of God's Son, Jesus. In front of you, you will find a connection card. It is a blue card. I actually didn't bring one up with me, but you know it's right there in front of you. If you are a guest with us, I want to encourage you to fill that out and just leave it on the pew after the service, and uh, ushers will come around and pick that up. We would love to be able to welcome you to the church and I also encourage you if you are a a visitor to make your way to the Connection Central booth in the foyer after the service and we have a gift for you and also some information about the church and I would encourage you to go ahead and pick that up. If you're a regular attender this is a great opportunity for us to stay in touch with you. You can leave us a prayer request or a praise report or maybe request information For example, if you want to request to come to the mid-year congregational meeting, uh, just uh, mark that on the back and we will make sure that uh, you are signed up to attend uh, that on January 20th. A couple other announcements just to make note of. Uh, First of all, uh, there is a baby shower for both Julie, who shared a a few moments ago, and also Susan Hoon on january 7th and if you would like to give just a donation for a a gift that we would would come from the whole church you can give uh, your gift uh, your money to alma and she's she will be uh, purchasing that gift one other announcement to make note of in terms of the church is next sunday is new year's eve and we will have a new year's eve drop-in from eight o'clock to midnight you don't have to stay the whole time, that's why we call it a drop-in, but uh, we will be here and it'll be a lot of fun. We have some organized uh, games and activities, there'll be a lot of food and uh, some worship and a time to share and to pray as we enter into the new year. So keep that in mind, that'll be a great time together. That's next Sunday from at, starting at 8 o'clock, New Year's, new Year's Eve drop-in, or new, yeah, New Year's Eve drop-in. One other announcement, and this is a fun one. On Tuesday this week, Kenichi and Now had their baby, and uh, so to, uh, on December 9th or December nineteenth is the birth birthday of Kinsei. And now I have to be f- careful with Kinsei because it sounds too look, much like my daughter Kinsey, but Kinsei was born to Now and Kenichi and is healthy and at home. I talked to Kanichi this morning, and everybody is doing very well. So that is a praise report. I am sure that many of you are busy today and tomorrow as you head off to families, uh, homes, or, or relatives, or maybe people are coming to your house. And uh, family gatherings around Christmas when I was a, ki- was a kid were always a lot of fun most of the time. Every once in a while, I, will re- I remember that the Chris- even at Christmas dinner table, there would be heated discussion. Maybe you can't relate to this, but... But every once in a while, if certain topics, namely religion and politics, were brought up, tempers would fly, and even Christmas dinner turned into an argument. This especially seemed to be the case when my aunts from California would come to Iowa where I grew up. Now there was something about my aunts, especially to my dad, they just seemed to want to get under his skin. And so maybe you can relate to this. Maybe a season of supposed to be merry and bright and peace on earth, goodwill towards men is more an exercise of biting your tongue and stuffing your emotions. Or maybe you don't worry about it at all. You just let it all out and let Uncle know it all, have it, and Aunt Payne in my backside really know what you think. And, uh, and you just... And family... Christmas is turned into a very exciting, memorable activity. Whenever I watch the Home Alone movie, which is on this time of year, I kind of am left wondering if it wasn't for the pesky robbers, if Kevin really would have had a better Christmas all by himself apart from his family. Now, I don't want to give the wrong impression. I'm very much looking forward to uh, my family Christmas today and tomorrow, In fact, we're driving to see my parents this afternoon after church, and this is the first time I've been with my parents since I've moved to California. So my first Christmas with my family in 12 years. And so I'm looking forward uh, to all of these things, these family get-togethers. But the reason I bring up family conflict is because I'm trying to paint a picture. As we read the story of Jesus' birth and then the rest of his life, It really is a story of love, but it is also a story that has conflict all over the place. Think even about when uh, Jesus was born, and King Herod, when he heard about uh, Jesus' birth, sought to have all the children, two years old and younger, killed just because he was trying to wipe out this little baby. Now, fortunately, through... uh, an angel appearing to Joseph, they fled to Egypt, and Jesus wasn't killed. But conflict was always in Jesus' life. There was, here was a person of love, and yet there is arguing and opposition always around him. And I wish that I could say that Jesus came on that first Christmas morning to take away all family conflict. But Jesus actually says the exact opposite. Matthew 10, 34 and 35 reads this way, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth, and we're going to talk about this in a minute, because what didn't the angels to the shepherds say that? Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And even at his birth, it was prophesied to Jesus' mother, Mary, that her son would cause arguing and opposition. These words were spoken when Jesus was eight days old, Luke 2, 34 and 35, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thought's from many hearts may be revealed. It's not your normal, typical uh, Christmas Eve verse, but it is a part of the Christmas story. As I said, this statement was given to Jesus when he was only eight years old, and so, eight days old, and so it is a verse that uh, uh, is part of the Christmas story, and the reason I read it is because I think it is actually Plenty applicable for us when tensions rise at Uncle Know It All's house and families have conflict. And so, for for, for those of us who are here this morning and are Christians, the question before us is how can we be a light and a testimony and an example in the midst of arguing and complaining? But maybe you are here this morning and you're here because it's Christmas Eve. And you don't usually come to church, and maybe you don't even consider yourself a, cha- a, a Christian, but I'm glad you're here because I believe that this Bible passage has a challenge for you as well. I want to encourage you to wrestle with a couple questions. If Jesus caused and causes so many strong emotions in people and is the source of so many conflicts, at his birth and through his life, and even throughout uh, in, even throughout history since then, what do you really believe about him? Because beliefs about him have caused a lot of arguments and conflicts. And if Jesus has not been at the top priority in your life, and you don't get stirred up with all kinds of emotions and love and of love and passion for God, my question for you this morning is: Why not? This fall, we went through a a series in which we talked about being either a fan of Jesus or a follower of Jesus. And the idea is that we can't just stay on the sideline. Well, actually, some do, but what Jesus is calling us to is to move away from just being a fan to being a follower of Jesus who is wholeheartedly committed to God. And so, again, we ask ourselves the question are you a fan? Are you a follower? Today's Advent theme that, we just, uh, that John and Julie and their girls just lit for us is the theme of love. And we want to pray that God would help us to understand how do conflict and love actually go together? And, wh- and what is this ultimate example of love? Jesus, how does he handle conflict? So as we turn to our passage once more, let's just take a minute and pray for our message. Father God, as we gather here this morning on Christmas Eve morning, we are mindful of the reason that you really came, and that is because you came as the Savior of this world, but that, set, that salvation was actually done through some very difficult circumstances. As we think about the conflict that you endured in your life, in your crucifixion, in, your, in the trial that led up to it. And God, this morning as we gather, we want to focus our hearts on you. Even when we think of those that are around us that cause conflict in our lives, we pray that you would help us to know how we can be people of love. And so we lift up this sermon to you in Jesus' name. Amen. (coughs) The verse that we just read from Luke 2, (coughs) in fact, if you want to open your Bibles, uh, there's a pew Bible in front of you. And Luke 2 is on page 857. In fact, we really believe as a church that it is important for you to have God's Word in your hands. So if you don't have a Bible uh, at home, you just take the one in front of you and you can consider that our Christmas gift to you. But in these verses, we are, dis- we are told this scene about when Jesus was a little baby. We're told about how at eight days old, He was brought into the temple to be presented to the, to the Lord. That was the Jewish tradition of the day, that on the eighth day, the baby is brought to the temple to be presented to God, to be circumcised, and to be dedicated to the Lord. And usually, a lamb would then be offered, sacrificed by the parents for the sake of purification. But for poor people, an exception was made, and a pair of doves or pigeons could be sacrificed instead. And Mary and Joseph, because they were poor, The Bible tells us that they offered two birds. After their sacrifice to the Lord, we read in the story about an old man named Simeon. Simeon says that he's been waiting for the Messiah to come. In fact, he's been promised by God that he would not die until he he has seen the Lord's chosen one. And so I imagine this old man wrinkled from age... Walking with a limp in his e- in his leg and yet a glimmer in his eye. A godly old man with a sense of godliness, approaching Mary and Joseph and asks them in his old man's raspy voice if he could simply hold the child. And trustingly, Mary gently hands the baby to Simeon. And with Jesus in his arms, the old man offers two blessings. One to God and the second to Mary. To God he says, and this is Luke two twenty nine through thirty two. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory and for glory to your people Israel. Now these are good Christmas verses this idea of this beautiful description of why Jesus came to this earth. It talks about Jesus being salvation. It talks about him being a light for revelation. It talks about being the glo- uh, God's glory for, his, for God's people. And so these themes warm our hearts as we think about them. But at, and these were actually the verses I planned on focusing on this morning. But as I prepared this uh, for today's sermon, I couldn't be helped I couldn't help but be drawn more and more to the blessing that, that Simeon offers to Mary. And that's what the Bible calls it. It says that this is a blessing, though at first glance it doesn't look like a blessing. To Mary, Simeon says, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Now this is not such a rosy picture of why Jesus came to this earth. Talking about causing people to fall, talking about bringing opposition, or as the NIV translates it, a sign that will be spoken against. In other words, Jesus is one who is argued about and fought over. And Simeon gives almost uh, this eerie word picture of a sword piercing people's hearts. And the two blessings seem quite different, a blessing to God and a blessing to Mary. But before we write it off as some uh, weird ramblings of an old man, I actually think that there is a deep spiritual truth here, a paradoxical truth that if we grasp, it might serve to usher us into the real meaning of Christmas. What Simeon in these two blessings is painting for us is a broad picture, a deeply colored picture of how it is through conflict that God's salvation actually comes. Now obviously we think of the cross, that is a major conflict. But maybe not so obvious, we think of conflict that you even experience in your own life. Could God use the conflict that you have with others to bring about his salvation? Could God actually use the conflict that takes place in your own heart as a means to plant his salvation into your life? Love and conflict, conflict and love. There is a push and pull, and that's what we see here in Simeon's two blessings. And so this morning we're going to look at these two ideas of conflict and love, And think of it as a progression. And so four points about the progression of conflict and love. And the first is that Jesus causes conflict among people. I probably don't need to spend a lot of time along this. We always say, as I mentioned, you know, there's two topics you want to avoid at the Christmas dinner, and that is, or in any situation, and that is politics and religion. Jesus is a controversial person. Everyone has an opinion about Jesus and who He is. And those opinions can run very deep and be filled with all kinds of emotions. Some of us love Jesus with all our hearts, and I would hope I could raise my hand and say, I am in that camp. There are many others that, when Jesus is brought up, they have the exact opposite feeling. As Simeon has said in this passage, verse 34, many people oppose Jesus. And in fact, when we read the Bible, there are all kinds of stories about Jesus being in conflict with religious leaders, and with the Roman rulers, and even with his own family. There's a surprising story in Mark 3, and I wish we had time to look at it more, but Jesus's mothers and brothers have heard what Jesus is saying, and they quite literally think that he is insane, and we're told in verse 21 that they come to take him hold, home by force because he was, and I quote, out of his mind. Sometimes the conflict with, that Jesus had was, with people was because they didn't understand Jesus. That may have been the case with his family. But at other times, it is for a very different reason, and that is because people understand the message of Jesus quite well and don't like what they hear. Jesus said in John 3, He being the light has come into the world, but people love darkness rather than light because their works are evil. You see, when Jesus comes, he comes as a light and he shines it in people's lives and sometimes people don't like what the light of Jesus shows. That Jesus comes as the righteous one from God and yet within their own hearts there is wickedness and sin and they See this in light of Jesus' light and don't like what they see. They become uncomfortable and want to turn away from the Lord. I was talking to to Eric Aguero this week. He and I had lunch. Eric is a young adult in our church. And as we sat, he was telling me about how he is one of the first Christians. In fact, I think he may be the the very first Christian uh, in his family. And how when he gets together with people uh, at family gatherings. A lot of them who have known him from when he was just a little child will look at him and say, what are you doing with this whole Christianity thing? And it's in, a, and it's in his heart, and he longs to see his family members come to Christ. He longs to share with them about uh, the love of Jesus. and he's not And he's not in their face about it. He tries to go about it very winsomely, but Even so, uh, people recognize the change in Eric's life and don't celebrate it, but actually ridicule it. And we were talking about why is it that people have that kind of reaction? Why is it that Eric, when he gets together with his family, is not embraced in this way, but actually uh, made fun of at times? And that is because I think, at least in part, there could be a number of reasons That people see the light of Jesus in Eric's life, and they don't like what it makes their own life look like. All of a sudden, there is a sense of guilt that they didn't wish uh, was there. Timothy Keller, in a book on Christmas, said, The manger at Christmas means that if you live like Jesus, there won't be room for you in a lot of inns. That when we uh, live like Jesus, and the light of Jesus shines through our life, that many people may get uncomfortable. And that actually leads us to point number two. And point number two is that Jesus causes conflict within ourselves. You see, He causes conflict among others, but as we are in relationship with others, and as we are in relationship with Jesus, He he causes conflict within our own hearts. Jesus causes conflict in our lives because he confronts things in our lives that maybe shouldn't be there or maybe shouldn't have the priority that they do. Things that come in our lives come before our love for God, who who we are to love the most. And this inner conflict is the conviction of sin. Conviction of sin is what the old man Simeon was talking about when he said... The deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revo- revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul. This is uh, Jesus. This is uh, Simeon talking to Mary herself, and he's saying that you're going to f- face a lot of difficulties in life, even into your own soul. This idea of a sword piercing our soul is spoken about in relationship to God's word in. Hebrews 4 12 for the word of God is living and active sharper than any double-edged sword it penetrates to it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart conviction is like a judgment we get this sense in our hearts of being guilty of God being displeased with our thoughts or our attitudes or our actions and it's never fun to stand before a judge and it's, certainly not fun, and it's certainly not pleasant to feel convicted, but it is for our good. Because believe me, God's not convicting any hearts because he gets a kick out of it. No, he convicts us because he longs for us to be, got, to be led into a better way, into the way of his son Jesus. As any parent will tell you, mom and dad discipline their children for their own good. Not because they get a lot of joy out of it, but because they want their children to learn right from wrong and to be led to a productive and healthy life. Hebrews 12, 6 says, The Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. You ought not to worry if you feel guilty after you sin. Rather, you ought to be worried if you sin and you don't feel anything. That's when you're really in trouble. Because that's when your heart has really grown whole, hard and cold towards the Lord but a guilty conscience means that God is speaking to us and telling us that he loves us and that we are his children or that he loves us and he longs for us to be his children to lead us into a life that is submitted to him in fact it is this act of giving ourselves to God that we are forgiven and healed and that is the third point that conflict within us can lead to our healing Chelsea and I sat in our living room with a couple, this was probably a couple years ago, but they sat and they told us about how they were having real difficulty with some extended family. I mean, we're talking about conflict, this was a family, this was a couple that was having pretty major conflict with some extended family, and we talked about what that means and what that looked like, and part of it may be that people were, had all kinds of baggage, and they were bringing that into the relationship, and maybe it was just they were trying to get under each other's skin. But as we talked, uh, we wrestled basically with two questions. The first was, why were the individuals in the family who were causing all of these heartaches, why were they the way they were? What What experiences had made them want to do and say and think the things that they did, said, and thought. And when we actually wrestled with that question for some time, it led, the, it led this couple to have compassion and even feeling sorry for the family. And the second question was, that we wrestled with, was what was inside the couple that sat in our living room that caused them to be irritated so much. Maybe it was rubbing up against wounds from years past, or maybe it was issues, spiritual issues, issues of sin that needed to be dealt with. But as we wrestled with these two questions, they are both questions of, they are both opportunities for salvation and for God's healing. Because as they uh, wrestled with This idea of what is the background of the family members that they are dealing with, it gave them the desire to actually share Christ with them, that they could experience healing because they've been through a rough path, path past themselves. And it also gave them the opportunity to ask the Lord for help because there are issues within their own hearts that need to be dealt with. A pastor from a long time ago said, the child of God has two great marks about him. He may may be known by his inward warfare as well as by his inward peace. You see, Christians, we are called to constantly be wrestling with what is the Lord doing in my heart and life? How is he causing me to grow? Where is he causing me to throw off sin and to submit my life more to him? This is the inward warfare. and And this inward warfare actually leads the inner peace that we long for. A couple of analogies. A surgeon cuts open his his patient so that he can get the tumor out and remove it. What is at first painful, the cutting open of one's body, is ultimately for his physical healing. Likewise, a therapist makes her patient confront painful memories deep within her. What is at first painful dealing with these hurtful feelings is ultimately for her emotional healing. And now the good news of Jesus, that Jesus convicts us of our sins, and what is at first painful, a sense of guilt within us, is ultimately for our spiritual healing. And so don't push these feelings aside as the Lord, when the Lord tugs on your heart and you sense and, uh, and you have a sense of your need for Him, embrace that and run towards God and not away from the Lord. The, the, guil, a guilty conscience is not a thing that should be shunned, but embraced because it is our opportunity to actually receive the forgiveness and the healing that God provides. Now this is probably a different Christmas message than you anticipated hearing coming in this morning. It's a different message than I planned on preaching But I couldn't get away from this idea of the blessing that Simeon offers to Mary. And so now let me come back to where I hinted we were going to go a, a moment ago, and that is to the angels' words to the shepherds. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom his favor rests. If Jesus brings conflict, what in the world are these angels talking about? Well, that's a very good question, and here's the answer. Peace on earth to those with whom God is well-pleased means that the only way we can have peace while we are on earth is when we are pleasing to God. And so this statement from the angels doesn't stand in contradiction to today's message, but actually ties the whole sermon together. God's conflict and God's love are not opposed to each other. Rather, it is only through the inner conviction of God that we can feel our need for Him, to turn to Him and to ask Him for forgiveness and for His help. And conflict with others may also force you to deal with what is really in your own heart. And this may lead you to ask for God's help as well. And all of this is really an act of repentance Repenting is the act of turning away from sin and turning to God, and it is in the act of repentance that we are made clean and become pleasing to God. When we are pleasing to God, we can experience the peace of God within us. And so maybe you are here this morning and you know that deep inside your heart you are not pleasing to God that you hate to admit it, but there is something within you that tugs at your conscience that you know, I need to get right with the Lord. It is this idea of asking God to come into our lives, turning away from our sin and turning to God, and receiving His, His forgiveness by repenting of our sins. Timothy Keller, I quoted from his book a moment ago, and I will again now, God's peace comes after the inner conflict of repentance. Repentance is like antiseptic. You pour antiseptic onto a wound and it stings, but it heals. That's how repentance works. It creates terrible inner turmoil because you have to admit you things you don't want to admit. You have to acknowledge your weakness and that you don't, uh, and you don't want to acknowledge that. However, that's the only way to, to new peace to the new peace of forgiveness and reconciliation. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is well pleased means that Jesus came to bring peace to this earth by changing people so that we are pleasing to God. Jesus died on the cross for our forgiveness and he convicts our hearts to help us know that we need his forgiveness, strength, and healing. So three points so far and then our last point. Point one, Jesus causes conflict among people, point two. Jesus causes conflict within ourselves, point three. The conflict within us leads us to our healing. And now finally, a healed heart can be a testimony of God's love in the midst of conflict. And so this is where we have application for uh, our family gatherings. That we might be a testimony of God's love and show that God can really change a heart. That while we were once, as Julie was talking about, impatient people, though I don't know if Julie was super impatient, but God changes us to be patient people and to be generous and to be loving, and he changes us, and that in itself is a testimony. Simeon talked about being a testimony. He said that Jesus came as a light for revelation to testify about who God was, and Jesus was a perfect example in the midst of all the conflict he experienced in life. Not one, not one time did he act contrary to how God wanted him to live. He was always a person of love, a person of peace, and a person of patience. Jesus never compromised the truth, and he always came with a spirit of kindness So our hearts, when we have been healed and made whole like Jesus, can begin to testify to the same type of things, that a healed heart can be a testimony of God's love in the midst of conflict. Jesus came as a light to revelation, a light for revelation, and Jesus calls us to do the same thing. In the Sermon on the Mount, he said, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but instead they put it on a stand and it gives light to, the, to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Christmas is described as the season of lights, right? Right? Well, my family, we love to go drive through the neighborhood and just see all the lights. In fact, there's one street in our neighborhood that we have probably been to ten times already this Christmas season. It's a light that it's a street that all the lights are lit up, all the houses are lit up, and then the lights are synchronized to music. You got a special radio station, and maybe you have seen uh, streets like that. We have this is the season of lights, and all the houses are decorated, and you're going to sit down with family either today or tomorrow, around a Christmas tree that's all covered in lights. And my encouragement to you is to let those lights remind you that you are to be a light of Jesus' love. That you're to be a testimony to show others of what God can do in a changed heart. Now, some people will not like that light. And it may even make them uncomfortable. But I still believe that God's kindness is attractive and winsome. As Paul said in Romans 2.4, do you not know that it is God's kindness that leads to repentance? So I want to encourage us to don't, let, don't be afraid to let your light shine. You know, sometimes we shy away from these conflicts. Don't be, don't be afraid to talk to others about God in their life and to share with them that the, the reason that you celebrate Christmas. One day we will... All stand before God in the light of His glory. And our prayer is that those that we know and love will thank us for sharing with them the good news of why Jesus came to this earth. A few years ago, on Christmas Eve, Chelsea and I, we went down to her extended family's house, and we gathered around the Christmas table. And uh, one of her uncles, and her un- this is an uncle that loves to talk and loves to share his opinion. He begins his spiel that I've heard before about how Jesus is his hero, but not his Savior and Lord. And here it is meant to be a Christmas dinner, and so I don't respond. It's supposed to be a pleasant meal. I'm just like, okay, whatever. Uncle so-and-so, I won't give a name. You can have your opinion. Uh, But sure enough, someone at at the table says, Uncle, what do you mean by that? That Jesus is not your, not your Savior and your Lord, but he's your hero. And he begins uh, his big, long talk that I've heard before. And, but this time, he's really getting into it. And he talks about how G- he can't uh, give his life to someone who is so needy. How is it that uh, Jesus would need me in his life? Why is it that Jesus would need me to declare my loyalty, to declare my faith and belief in him And he goes on like this for a while and then when he's done there's just kind of this air of silence in the room and someone softly responds just with two simple sentences. I don't think it is that Jesus needs you. I think it's more that Jesus loves you. And with that one meek insight we have the essence of Christmas. That Jesus came to this earth to live a perfect life, to die on the cross, and to be raised on the third day. Why? Because he loves you. As the Bible so beautifully says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And so in light of that beautiful uh, verse, I just want to say Merry Christmas. May the love of Jesus rest upon your heart today. May he give you peace, cleanse you from all guilt, and cause you to be a light to everyone around you, even to those who are hardest to love. To enter into a world of conflict and be a person of love is no easy task, but it is precisely what Jesus did on Christmas morning as he entered into this world, a world of conflict, as a little baby. And this is what he is calling us to do as well, to enter into this world of conflict and to be a person of love. Let's pray. Father God, we are very mindful of the fact that Jesus entered into this world after having spent eternity in your glory, that he experienced all the luxuries of being God himself, and he laid those comforts aside. Not because he needed to or because he had to or not because he needed us in, our, in his life so much, but simply because he loves us. And so God, on this Christmas, I pray that we would really have our hearts fixed on you. That we would be reminded of how much you love us. How much you want to be in our lives. And God, may we be motivated to turn our lives more over to you not because of obligation, but because we long to just be in your presence, long to live the life that you have called us to live because that really is the abundant life, a life that is lived with and for Jesus. And so draw us close to yourself, we pray, especially today and tomorrow as we celebrate Christmas. Thank you for all of your blessings, the greatest of which is the giving of your Son. In Jesus' name, amen.